Once again, good morning, brethren. I would again like to encourage you to look forward to Saturday. John and I are making some plans for the, the growth and uplifting of the congregation, and that's one of the first things we're, we're looking to do. Um, some other things to be looking forward to in, in the short term, we're looking to update the directory and the email list and our website so that we might have better communication, uh, openness with the congregation and with, and with one another. And we're also looking to update and put a photo board back up on the wall in the back. Ron has agreed to help us in that uh, facilitating the board and doing the pictures. We had some conversation this morning. If there's anybody who is familiar with Photoshop or uh, a program that might be able to help Ron in that, if you could let us know, we'd, we'd certainly appreciate that. In October, which began yesterday, uh, John and I had a lot of discussion. We've determined to begin the deacon process, selecting deacons for the church here. Uh, therefore, the first Sunday, which is today, and the third Sunday, two weeks from today, uh, John and I will be preaching about deacons. Uh, on the second and fourth Sundays this month, John and I will be teaching the adult class in the auditorium, furthering the study on that. We hope to, in November, hold a congregational meeting and then begin that process and in hopefully short order, select and appoint deacons to assist in the work here. And we would ask that you please keep us and the congregation in prayer as we continue in, in our efforts regarding some of these matters. Deacon sermons, classes, conversations, studies. Why do we continue to have them? Who are they for? Most of us, olders if you will, have heard numerous sermons been in many classes and studied extensively on elders and deacons. We just went through the elder process just a few short months ago. Why go through it again? Why can't we just appoint deacons? First, we looked hard at the study of elders in order to appoint elders. For the elders, it refreshes us and gives us a deeper understanding. Each time you study, I look at it like when we study in school, you start out in kindergarten, you go through elementary school, you go through junior high, you go through college, or high school and then college, and, you, and as you further your education, your levels increase, they layer like an onion skin, and they get deeper, they get richer. So as we study these things over and over, and I find, particularly myself, maybe it's my study habits, that I find I learn more and more each time I study even the same old thing. But we also have some newer Christians, some young people, who've not studied these things before or not studied them in the depth that some of us have. And we need to encourage them in the study of God's word too so that they might know throughout their lives what church administration and leadership, et cetera, are all about and how we find those leaders and what those leaders do. And it's for all of us to be reminded that scriptures as we consider who among us might serve in that capacity. As we go through this, we have a better understanding of the qualifications, but mostly I believe that these lessons this month will be beneficial to those who are either considering or being considered as a deacon. Um, I think they're valuable to that potential prospective person, that he might be able to closely and carefully consider what the scriptures have to say, 
and have a better understanding of the word and fully recognize that the office of the deacon is established by the Lord. And his role as a deacon, they're not the same as an elder or a preacher or a teacher. It has great significance in the workings and the operation and the leadership in the Lord's church. That's why the Lord so thoroughly and specifically laid out the qualifications as he has, as was just read. Because it isn't simply what a man does as a deacon. There are many things that we assign and appoint men to do. But it's who he is which qualifies him to serve in that capacity. Some men, some men whose names were submitted when the elders were being considered declined to be an elder. Some weren't qualified. Um, that person or persons may very well likely to qualify as a deacon and have a willingness to serve in that capacity. Sometimes they don't want to take on an eldership role even though qualified because of life circumstance or personal circumstance, but may be able to fill that role as a deacon quite effectively. We would ask you to consider that if you're one of those people or if you know those people within the congregation that might be beneficial for us to serve. I would invite each of you to be here next Sunday. Uh, I'll be teaching the adult class and we're going to look, I'm going to try to generalize a little bit in my sermon today, but as we have the classes, we're going to plan to have a little more specific teaching about the qualifications scripturally and have a question and answer open discussion form in those classes so that we all might just be able to talk about it and learn what the scriptures say. Today's sermon is just the beginning of a series of this study on the qualifications of deacons and the appointment process. We believe that we do have men here who are, are qualified and worthy of consideration in the deacons. We would like every member to be completely engaged in following these lessons in the appointment process because it's important for each and every one of us. That's why we're here, to serve God. Um, we need to spend a lot of time thinking, meditating, and especially be in prayer about these matters. Within the lesson, there's quite a few uh, scriptural references that I have, and I'm not going to read through all of them. We'll look at them a little more closely each week, but I do suggest that you check the cross-references and read them. When we start out in 1 Timothy 3, I'd like to just quickly glance over the eldership. Beginning in verse 1 in 1 Timothy chapter 3, this is a true saying that if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given in hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetousness, not covetous. One that rules his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man not know how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into to reproach in the snare of the devil. Why is that important for deacons? Because what's the next first word in chapter 8? Likewise. Likewise, and as I often do, I'd like you to pay attention in the sermon to how things work together, how they are connected in the scriptures and the applications, because we're going to see likewise on three occasions in this lesson today. And I want you to see the connection, how they're brought together. 
This is the work that God has created. Definite, definite qualifications are given just as qualifications are given for those who serve as elders. 1 Timothy 3.8 states, deacons likewise must be. What is likewise? How can we keep seeing this? The man who will serve must be qualified in all the respects that are mentioned in these qualifications. They're just as important as the qualification for elders and must be requires that as long as he is a deacon, he must meet these qualifications. A congregation can exist and function without elders or deacons as we've seen in the early New Testament days, Acts of 14, chapter verse 23. They appointed elders in all congregations. So there was a time when they did not have elders. There was a time that they did not have deacons. That says, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commanded, commended them to the Lord, which whom they believed. And yet something is missing when these roles are vacant. First, uh, for Titus ch chapter 1, verse 5. It should be noted that the work of a deacon is not to oversee a congregation, not necessarily to preach or public speaking or class or different things, although as we grow as Christians, that more often happens and occurs. These qualifications for elders and deacons apply to each and every one of us as Christians as we grow throughout our lives, and we have different responsibilities. The deacons work as a service for proven or tested men, those men who have already exemplified in their lives this type of behavior, and they're to be ready servants to fulfill any scriptural service within their ability. So many times we, and I'm guilty of it, we've looked at deacons like, oh, that's the guy who takes care of the building. Oh, that's the guy who makes sure that people are up here and leading singing and on the table. Or that's the person who is assigned specific tasks. And they're very important for the operation of the church, but they're the temporal things. Things but they're both extremely important and effective operations in the church. Let me get ahead of myself here just a little bit. I have a definition that I wanted you to look at, but I don't have it with me. Likewise, deacons. We see the layout for the elders and the qualifications. And then when it says, likewise, deacons, similar to, also, deacons, too, must meet certain qualifications. They don't have the exact same qualifications, but they do have things that they need to be pursuing in their lives to meet this qualification. Being a servant should have a proper attitude towards themselves. Matthew, the 16th chapter, and verse 24, and Luke 17. I found my definition. The word deacon comes from the Greek word diakonos, one who executes the commands or instructions of another, a servant, an attendant, a minister who takes care of things, the servant of a king, the deacon, one who, by virtue of the office assigned him by the church, cares for the poor and has charge and distribu distributes the money uh, collected for use and gives service unto those people. The word deacon is used 29 times throughout the New Testament. Of those 29, three are ascribed to the word deacon, seven ascribed to minister, 10 to servant, and nine to plurality, servants. 
When we see likewise, it means in the same way, also, in addition to, as well as. So when you see likewise, the elders do this. Likewise, the deacons must have similar, similar trait characteristics. And that is first being a servant. We all should be servants. The Lord came to be a servant. One often involves themselves in eldership and being a deacon. It involves a lot of personal sacrifice. And sometimes they don't have to be asked. Sometimes they are ascribed to do things on their own. Uh, Luke, the 10th chapter, the man on the side of the road, that individual helped him on his own accord. He wasn't asked to help. He just went and did it. And our service to the brethren is impartial. When we look at Matthew 25 and verse 40, as much as you have done this to the least one of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. So we have a willingness to serve each and every one, all of us. But those that have led that example and shown and proven themselves and have been tested in these matters will be qualified. The qualifications are very specific. And the attributes that the Lord has seen fit. And if you remember my last sermon, I talked about fitness and how like two pieces of wood go together, how things fit together. The Lord has seen fit to ascribe to a man who will serve in this capacity and those qualifications. Why, you might ask, are there several spiritual aspects of the qualifications versus just a skill set? Because it's a man who is proven in performing his duties, the deacon will often interact with brethren and with others outside the church who may be in need of his service. This will oftentimes expose him to personal situations. It'll provide him information that he otherwise wouldn't routinely be privy to or even be made aware of. They're in and out of people's lives because they're helping them or they're instructed to do this or take care of this fund or deliver something and they will be exposed to it. He's in a position of trust. There'll be somebody who takes care of the treasury, somebody who takes care of the books. Mike does that for us now and he's done an outstanding job for a long time. These people need to be trustworthy. They need to have established this in their lives. And these spiritual qualities outlined in Timothy help us to choose men who will best serve the needs of the congregation. Why? Because these are men, by qualification, reverent, men of dignity. Because a deacon has greater access to these people who are hurting, people who are weak. Due caution should be used in who we select and who we appoint. Scripture warns us against hasty appointments and who we give consent to. In 1 Timothy 5.22, they talked about, be careful who you lay hands on. And when you lay hands, it, you put hands on not in a miraculous way, but in a method of acceptance of one another. That you concur with them. Not double-tongued or devious in speech. We learn that the, the, the deacon is is a man known by the congregation, respected for his moral character, dependable, serious-minded, and he has a reverence for God, especially in the realm of integrity and self-control. He needs to be honest in his speech. It's easy for us when we especially get into somebody else's lives and see personal things to form our own opinions or say things, and these men must be in control of their tongue at all times. Not double tongue, meaning saying one thing to one person, one thing to another, and they be different. 
The deacons will be working with the elders. They need to be men who are reliable in presentation, what they bring back to the eldership, what they take forward to the congregation, etc. Not given to much wine. Having been around a while, I know brethren who casually drink. Shamefully, I've seen a few brethren who drink. And I've seen them beyond capacity by alcohol. When it says not given, addicted to much wine. I don't drink. I don't drink a drop. I don't make judgment on anybody who does. If somebody has a glass of wine or something, I don't put that judgment on them. That's not my place. I just choose for myself. But I do think that we need to be very careful. That's a slippery slope. Alcohol leads men into many, and women, into many, many, many bad areas. First Timothy 3.8 indicates that alcohol is a very dangerous substance. Something so dangerous that even spiritual men like deacons need to stay away from. A man who thinks that he can't handle alcohol has a mindset that's contrary to God's thinking. And we need to be very mindful of that both as, as individual Christians as, and as leaders in the church. Not greedy for money. We live in a society today. Money rules the world. And women. Remember the women rule the world with the husbands and the kids and things. They play such an important role in our lives. Such an important role. As we'll get into in a little while in the deacon's wives. It's easy for us in this society to be very fond of money. It's easy when you handle it, when you deal with it, when you make a lot of money. Sometimes it's easy to, to, to get off the cart. We wander away from the faith. The elders and the deacons, likewise, should not be given to filthy lucre. They should make honest livings. It's not to say you can't make a lot of money and be very happy, but we have to be careful of our mind and our thoughts with money. Deacons are going to have charge over the funds, over the distribution of funds. Holding to the mystery of faith. The mystery of faith is another way of referring to the spiritual truth revealed in the gospel. Ephesians 3, 3, verse 6, Ephesians 6 and 19. Deacons aren't just servants who do physical things around the church. That's a flawed thinking. These are spiritually minded men who are taking on that. These men must have a firm grasp on the truth in the gospel. They must practice what they teach so that they can hold, faith, hold fast to faith with clear conscience. A deacon is stable. He's steadfast and living a life consistent with his understanding of what's right in the faith. But let these men also be, first be tested and let them serve as deacons. This testing is prior to them serving. We've already seen an established pattern that these men should be holding. Thayer defines it as to test or examine to see whether this thing is genuine or not. And that's pretty easy to do because you know these men, because you've seen them work, you've been involved in their lives. The church proves the men when the selection is made from among them. No unqualified men can serve. So these things are very important. Being found blameless means that they cannot be... Blameless here means that which cannot be called into account or unreprovable. Anybody can make an accusation. But these men should be blameless. The, the, should anybody make an accusation, they're held above reproach and accountable to that accusation. 
Vine explains that this implies not merely acquittal, but the absence of even a charge or, against the, or accusation against a person. Like I say, anybody can make an accusation, but can it be sustained? Blameless doesn't mean he was not dead in sin. Ephesians 2, the third chapter, that he doesn't ever sin. 1 John 1 and 9, that he will not be accused of any wrongdoing. Look at Job in the first chapter of Job, verse 8. Matthew 11, 18. 1 Peter 2, 12. 1 Timothy 5, 19. There are a lot of references to these things. But it does mean that he's forgiven. He's forgiven of sin. Ephesians 2, chapter, verse 8. He repented of his sins. Luke, the 22nd chapter, verse 61, that he is walking in the light. None of us are perfect. We've all sinned. Some have had accusations made, some substantiated, some not. But we repent and we change our ways. But what we want to do is make sure that there's nothing Satan can use to substantiate a claim against him. He's a person of sound moral character, and he has a solid reputation. These are the kind of men we're looking for to be deacons. I think that those men are here. I think that we do have men that are qualified, and, and it would be great for us to, to have them for consideration and appointment. But these qualifications aren't just for the deacons, they're for each and every one of us. I know that I've sinned in my life. I repent of those sins and hopefully won't go, that, go in that direction again. As Christians, we, we live this way. Jesus' blood has saved each and every one of us from our sins through that repentance, through forgiveness, through the washing of the blood. Next week, we're going to be looking at a little more detail in class. And I, again, encourage you to, to come and be with us. That's all I have to say so far about the deacons. That's the, the lesson for today. I hope you'll, that you'll consider the things that I've had to say. Evaluate them. Read through the scriptures that I've mentioned. And consider, look around at the people we know here to see who might be qualified. Perhaps even ask them if they'd be willing to serve. And let us learn together more specifically what the Lord would have us to be, who he would have us to be, and how he would have us to live our lives. Perhaps you've never named the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and never repented of your sins. But you have sufficient knowledge that you know that through baptism you're forgiven of your sins, but you've not yet done that. Time has been set aside this morning that if you would like to meet that deed and become a Christian, all things are prepared and ready for you, and we would gladly receive you in that effort. If you are a Christian who needs to make some changes or, or needs the prayers of the congregation for anything. That opportunity presents itself now also if you would come forward. If you're subject to the invitation and the call of the gospel, you come forward as we together stand and sing.